Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody. I am George Armistead, and I am with Alvaro Jaramillo. We are here for another episode of Life List, a birding podcast. Alvaro, what's going on, man? Hi, George. Yeah, we've got rain going on here, which, uh, as you know, uh, West Coast people from drought-stricken areas love to talk about rain. So uh, big. So it's 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 rain and there's you know snow falling in the mountains in the Sierra so that's good for us but it's still not enough mm. too little too late but um, it's nice to have some rain you know that whole April showers uh, bring May flowers that's not the way that you know California tends to work so mm-hmm. at this time maybe so <laughs> yeah yeah I. Uh... It's been a very fickle month. April always is. It seems like you know. It's it, you, you know. There's that graphic they got like you know, early spring, fake spring, second winter. You know, second fake spring. That thing is going on again here. We, uh, I think everybody knows there was a big nor'easter type storm came through, dumped snow in a lot of places. We just missed that here, but we got plenty of rain. And then it was down in like the thirties, um, yeah. 30. Yeah. It was like one morning it hit 30 degrees Fahrenheit here in the morning. After that, I had a bird walk scheduled here in Philly for birdphilly.org. We, we have our regular, uh, spring, you know, walks are, are ticking into place and going now. And I usually do, you know, a couple, uh, every spring. And I thought, oh man, nobody's going to show for this. And, uh, it was chilly, but you know, we all are facing the same thing here, which is we're anxious for the arrival of the migrants, the warblers, they're coming, you know, we want, we want to see them. There's been a smattering of them around, but yeah, there was 30 of us out there this, that morning, even though it was like about 40 degrees then. And, uh, you know, we had our first blue headed vireo, uh, of the spring for a bunch of us and, you know, a few things around, but, uh, it was still pretty cold, but it, Warm weather is coming. The birds are on their way. Can't wait. Cool. Yeah, no, here, uh, latest information I've had about sort of an event that I haven't experienced it myself is a little um, what you would call um, invasion of red phalaropes, the gray phalarope for those in Europe. Um, (laughs) We we focus on the breeding plumage over here. Mm-hmm. Folks over there focus on the non-breeding plumage. They're both really good names at the right time of year. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's yeah. very that was that was deftly put. In, uh, very very <laughs> apolitical. It's good, you know. And what's what's happening is um, so a few of them are showing up in coastal little ponds, you know, here and there, which is unusual. Sometimes we'll get a a situation where a storm hits in December. And then the red phalaropes, the sort of laggards and wintering birds get pushed over to the coast and, you know, there, there's uh, they're around. But this time it's like they're migrating north from South America and other places, you know, um, and they are amassing close to shore. Like if you're if people who've been looking offshore, sea watching or seeing masses of red phalaropes, you know, within a mile of shore. And then the question is, okay, so what's happening? It's not really a storm, like there's been raining or whatever, but it's nothing out of the unusual for winds. It might be that the food has, you know, there's no food for them off further offshore. Mm -hmm. And that is interesting. It's happened before that these spring movements, you know, sort of invasion of phalaropes have have happened. So, Every time it does, then you sort of maybe you pick up some information on what is going on. So I haven't been offshore to see this, and we may go offshore this Sunday, weather permitting. But um, it's interesting um, and and very regional, very specific. You know, to sort of happening in California right now. So and right on the coast. So it's it's a fine small kind of spot where it's happening yet it could be including the major proportion of this species uh north american population so man mm. yeah. weird <laughs> that is strange yeah hopefully hopefully not bad news um right it's not too scary uh, 
we've certainly seen it with seabirds other times where food is in short supply where it's supposed to be and they end up in other places. So, right. Yeah. Right. Um, and it also highlights the fact that we know very little about the ecology of offshore phalaropes. We know that they float around <laughs> out there and make their little circles and pick off tiny little bits of food from the surface. They don't gyres of water, right? Little yeah. And you would think, oh, well, there has to be food floating, floating around all over the ocean, all over the surface. But in fact, when you do go out there, they're, Phalaropes are really concentrated in areas of, um, I find when two different types of water kind of collide and you get those, what we call rips mm -hmm. and there's all that frothy, you know, stuff where people worry about it being pollution, yet it's sort of natural stuff that's being kind of brought together by water currents. That's where the phalaropes are. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what's going on. Those, those, you know, water, uh, temperature breaks are not happening or, or something else is going on. Um, the way the water is moving, maybe what's happening and yeah, it may not, not favorable for feeding right. conditions. And, right. Yeah. And, and we'll see, we'll see how it progresses. Right. Um, so yeah. kind of interesting though. That is, well, <laughs> speaking of seabirds, uh, oh. Elbrow, we should, uh, we should mention for folks, that uh, we do have uh, a pelagic outing coming up here. We'll go out of yeah. North Jersey that includes, uh, you know, we're hitting the Hudson Canyon. It'll be you, me, Molly Brown, and our interview from a, few, a little while back, Dan Lane, uh, will be the leaders. And we'll be searching for shearwaters, storm petrels, uh, you know, might see some foul ropes on the move. Yeah. Uh, and it's make, hopefully some life, Jaegers moving. The whole lifeless podcast, you know, people all in one place. You know, yeah. We should, we should take some mics out and yeah. <laughs> record. <laughs> be interesting to try to record offshore there. Well, it is, yeah. It's a nice boat. It's a comfortable boat. We're going on the Gambler, which I feel like is a great name for a boat, you know, where you're going on a pelagic trip. You, you know, you kind of roll the dice. You never know what you're going to get out there. You could hit the jackpot or can be, you know, less active at other times. But uh, always interesting to see. We'll have the better part of two days, basically. We'll leave midday the first day, and we'll kind of do a slow cruise out. And uh, that'll give us some inshore water searching and some, some deeper water as we get closer to Hudson Canyon, which is kind of our destination we're working towards. And then we'll spend the night out there. And the boat has pretty good sleeping berths. Uh, it's a pretty comfortable boat, good sight lines, and... Then we'll have wake up at dawn the next morning. We'll be right there at the canyon, have pretty much the whole day to work that. And then it's a real fast boat. We'll just rock it home once it's get close to dark there and should be back on shore four to five hours uh, once we uh, turn tail and head ashore. So hope folks will check it out. It's on the Hillstar Nature yeah, site. So, so, I mean, the cool thing is you basically have, you know, floating a – Hostel. I don't want to say hotel makes it sound like you know you have a in-house room service, but you've you've got a place <laughs> to sleep, from what I understand, yeah. which yeah. allows you to get out there and spend the entire full daylight hour in this deep water uh, area, which I gather is not that common. I mean, no, from it's my, not not birded very often. often. Yeah. So that's cool. Who knows yeah. what we could see? Yeah. Yeah. It's a new Same. kind of pelagic, so we're really we're hoping uh, folks will check it out and uh, yeah. be fun to get out there, see what we see. Always in seabirding, there's the chance for something exceptional. Um, anytime a you go out whale. there, yeah, now you're talking beaked whales or you know other other kinds of crazy critters out there. You never know if it's beaked. I think you can count it as a bird, right? Yeah, huh? that's right. That's right. Hey, ABA, yeah. listen up. Beaked whales are in. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's according to the latest taxonomy, Hotermio 2022. You know. 2022, yeah. And I, I'm including all um, crocodiles and, uh, you know, alligators as birds. So wow. I'm going wow. to expand. That's, that's big changes, man. Big changes. Big changes coming. 
Yeah, that's yeah. right. You might uh, some of your colleagues on the South American Classification Committee might have a few questions for you. You know, I'll have a few answers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, nice. I'm just trying to pad the list. I mean, I'll be yeah. honest. You well, that's know? good. You know, it's I, it's good good I, for the tour business. You know, splits. That's right. We we like splits. Lumps not as much most of the time. There's, you know, <laughs> that's there's some right. Exceptions to that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> the um. What else you been up to? Not much, man. Yeah, just uh, you know, trying to uh, to. I'm waiting for spring, really, and 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 working on Hillstar stuff. You know, uh, got back from India a couple of weeks ago and working on a trip uh, that we'll offer there in 2024. And uh, yeah, just got some other trips I'm working on. But we, one thing we did not get to last time, Al, we were chatting. Uh, you, me, and Molly, we uh, we talked about a few things, but we did not discuss your latest venture to Cuba. Uh, yes. It's always a place of fascination for folks and one of your favorite places. Uh, yeah. So how yeah, I mean, it, it, went, it went very well, um, actually exceedingly well, given the circumstances. I mean, the, Cuba always has some issues in terms of uh you know the politics of what's going on there whether americans you know are are allowed not allowed or or you know or the american government how it how it's dealing with travel to cuba yeah the uh the time where things were most open and um and clear cut were the obama years mm-hmm. um, but i believe it or not i've been going to cuba like my first trips were in the late '90s, which makes wow. me right about one of the one of the most, you know, I don't want to say experienced, but I, I've been going there for longer than most people have. Yeah, you've definitely um, led more more tours there than just about anybody I know, and and uh, have yeah, you've been going there a long time. And you know, it it's changed in so many ways, right? Um, from you know where you could use dollars to you can't use dollars to you know today's situation where we have one currency there used to be two currencies like there's all of this stuff that's always going on and you have to be aware of what's happening americans actually can go to cuba you just have to have a certain very clear a a tour that is abiding by the very clear rules of what you can and cannot do and so forth in terms of money and what you can bring back, not bring back, where you can stay. So there's a bunch of rules, and I and I can see why a lot of tour companies don't go to Cuba, just because it's it's uh, complicated. But it's it's amazing, you know, it's an amazing place. It's huge. I mean, you there's times when you're sitting in the bus going from point A to point B, and sort of saying, oh, we're, we've we're doing you know this whole drive this afternoon from here to over there, and you think, well, it's only, you know, a quarter of the way across the map. How can it take this long? And it's far, you know, it's yeah. a really big country. Um, this year, when I say the circumstances, um, there was a fuel shortage. So we had to uh, have our ground people making sure that we always had the right fuel available. Um, COVID uh, has, has uh, you know, it, it, it shut down the tourism industry in Cuba, which is one of their major ways of, of gaining revenue. So um, there were some things that were not quite yet sort of going, you know, happening, you know, some hotels that were closed or you could see them, you know, boarded up in, in, the, in, in some areas. And when you're thinking, wow, you know, this country has really suffered in a visible way from COVID, but they're happy to have people over and everybody's mm-hmm. always super friendly and we had great food, great music and all that. So it's a, uh, it was a cool, uh, it was great to go back to Cuba. I, I felt a little bit like a sadness for how hard hit they were by the pandemic, which yeah, obviously we were hard hit in our own way, but a country that relies so much on tourism, especially Canadian and European tourism, and to some extent now, this war um, is even more of a problem for them than other countries in that, you know, they've had a direct link to Russian, you know, mm-hmm. tourists actually over time. Uh, and that's all ended, of course. Um, 
And uh, I'm sure there was a lot, a lot of Ukrainians as well that used to go to Cuba for holidays, but it's all, that's all ended. So their kind of link to that part of the world is, is also a problem. Um, so so I, I felt good to be doing a tour, going back to the places, hiring the local guides and sort of, you know, seeing, you know, a lot of them were like, you're the first bird tour back, you know, you're yeah. the, you're the first people back here. So we're looking forward to more. And, uh, and um, that was, that felt good where you feel like you're making some kind of economic um, um, help to areas that are often not that, you know, little and tiny some psychological in the nowhere. too, I imagine. I mean, yeah. like I bet for some of these folks, just the, the act of like, seeing a tour group coming through the area where they have worked for so long, what they get work yeah. accustomed to. I'm sure that this, there's some serious psychological benefit to that yeah. as well. Just no, no sense definitely. Of yeah. And, you know, there were also, it's, it was great to see things like there were some spots that where we had sort of lost the Cuban net catcher due to the um, hurricane of what was it? 2017 or 16. Yeah. That was one and of my questions I wanted to ask you about yeah. actually. They were, they're back, you know, the habitat wow. looks much better. They're even, uh, it wasn't too difficult to find the Bahama Mockingbird, which is another one that suffered during that hurricane because it hit exactly where they live. Um, on the other hand, while we're talking about the lack of, of tourists right now, they're planning on tourists being back there in the future. So there are these massive hotels being built in some of the most, you know, greatest uh, spots for birds like the thick-billed vireo you know where we used to see them regularly before the hurricane and now you realize they got hit by the hurricane and now they're getting hit by a big infrastructure project probably european money um is my guess and uh and you know i mean uh you you know there's part of it it's like well you know we're sort of part of the problem we we were loving cuba to death we're loving these places to death and uh unfortunately um some countries you know as we talked about in the past have chosen to go about a system of tourism that is really um lower key um smaller groups smaller places families family run um cuba is a place where everything is sort of big and run by bigger um entities so it's it's going to be sort of a, a big hotel rather than 15 20 families running smaller spots where they're kind of a little bit more in tune with the local habitats and so forth so right. you can see uh, you know what we've talked about in the past it's like boy you know you you know why people want to go to cuba but this is partially you know decreasing the habitat values and even the the beauty of the place by making yeah. these big, big old buildings and places, you know, happening all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Tourism is great in many ways and difficult uh, to manage right. others. And that's why we like to think of sustainable ways to do it as much as we can. Uh, right. Exactly. And, you know, the other thing, uh, Cuba is uh, fantastic for its number of species that you can see there, especially the number of specialties endemics is probably higher than what we think, given that it'll change as taxonomy changes. But um, we we also have a lot of mysteries. You know, Before we got on here, we were talking about Z Zapata rail, a bird that hasn't yes. been seen. Uh, well, people have seen it apparently uh, recently but there's no proof that they've seen it i mean the last sort of proof of somebody seeing one is a while ago cuban kite is another right. one um there are um other mysteries like the ivory-billed woodpecker that the ivory-billed woodpecker I that's right i've not sure if i've ever heard of that one before. well if you saw woody woodpecker the uh the cartoon that was an ivory build. No, I don't think that's <laughs> that true. That was an ivory build. Yes, really, it was. Yeah, I see. Uh, all right, before we get too far derailed, I do think this is an important point to clarify because Woody Woodpecker was one of my favorites, and I still he remember was seeing annoying. Him for, Boy. Oh, oh, he was fantastic. Are you? That's part of his genius is that he was annoying. Yeah, Heckle and but, Jekyll. Now we're talking. <laughs> I remember a detail back in the days of ID Frontiers, and I think you you might have been a part of this conversation. Oh, yeah, because 
because I know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) What I had heard was that the likeness, this is my recollection. I'm, I'm, you know, happy to be, uh, to, uh, to be corrected. Uh, cause this is, this is, uh, was my understanding was that it was, its likeness was supposed to be a pileated woodpecker, but that the inspiration was actually the acorn woodpecker was the bird with, with I'm trying to remember who the artist was. It was not a Chuck Jones one, right? It was uh, somebody else, I think. Right. Um, well, but yeah, what, 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 tell me, tell me what you know. I want to know. There's this episode when, um, He's on a train. He's uh, he's avoiding these guys. I think they're trying to catch him. Yeah. And and he opens up a book in the train, and it's like a wanted poster. Yeah. And the wanted poster's got Woody Woodpecker on it, and it says Campophilus Principalis. I think it is <laughs> at the bottom. And mm-hmm. and maybe the plot of the whole thing got lost on me, but I just remember seeing that already being a kid interested in birds and thinking, Oh, Woody Woodpecker's an ivory bull woodpecker, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it stuck with me now into my graying years. I see. I, I, I remember this part of the story and I remember thinking, okay, I, be- I completely believe all of what you are telling me now, but that also does not to me confirm that it was an ivory billed woodpecker. Um, and this is not the debate on the ivory billed woodpecker I thought we might end up having today, but uh, but it I, just tells you that this this bird is basically a walking debate because <laughs> no matter what, so yeah. you're, you're trying to tell me about the its its origin history, but I, I'm trying to tell you of the one time it was labeled mm-hmm. as what it was. It said mm-hmm. it was an ivory billed woodpecker. I, so that I guess in in your view, perhaps that is more of a defining moment for its identity than in whereas I might argue that it could be seen merely as a plot line for that particular episode but it uh, could be but they could have they could have named that anything else you know they, true. they could have put they could have dry copus uh, heart spotted woodpecker you know yeah uh, i know tougher tougher stretch but, yeah um the <laughs> the the idea too that uh something came up recently is that you know woodpeckers have they're often all over the world. There's like two different size classes of a type mm-hmm. of woodpecker. Yeah. And yeah. it's thought downy often that is common yeah. one we know around here. Yeah. Right. And, and Downey and Harry aren't closely related to each other. They're within right. the same group, but they're not each other's closest relatives. So Harry is the white headed woodpecker's closest relative. And the, uh, pileated and ivory build forming a sort of a, a duo of, of, um, is is a, an interesting idea because uh, Campophilus and the lineated woodpecker, which is related to the pileated in dry copus, in, you know, yeah. yeah, down in in Central South America, um, they definitely mimic. You know, there's a mimicry aspect of their plumage. Nobody understands exactly why this could be, but the data suggests something is going on. That woodpeckers often will mimic. Um, a larger size class of woodpecker. And uh, then, you know, you think, well, gosh, you know, if that's the case and the irable woodpecker is gone for most, you know, for basically gone, it's uh, what has happened to the pileated without its, you know, mimic partner. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's model as they call it. Right. It doesn't model. have this relationship anymore with this, yeah. uh, this bird. This is a, it's a viceroy without its monarch in the butterfly mm-hmm. world, you know? It's, I feel like that's so, a good book title for something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you do wonder what, what the, the, the ecological change that happened because of that and other aspects. And even maybe the behavioral, um, there could have been a behavioral sort of boxing in of the pileated originally that due to its interactions that didn't happen afterwards. Who knows? But, um, yeah. I thought that's that's kind of an interesting thing, but I mean, in, in terms of you know the Cuba, the ivory build was actually seen there um, uh, in into the eighties. Yes, uh, and photographs, good photographs, at least into I think the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, the, there was like a the team wood- of biologists, right, that went right. there in, in the early mid eighties and saw it. Right, saw if not one, several. I think. Right, and. Uh, 
in in the forties when they were almost gone from the U.S., there were places that had you know like you could go see seven ivory bull woodpeckers in this one spot I think in Cuba, out in the east, not a place where the bird tours go, and not a place where anybody really goes. There are some big forests, mountainous forests, pine mostly, and um, it's interesting to think that pine may have been uh, key in these big wood woodpeckers. Um, we think of ivory builds as being these bottomland um, forest birds, and perhaps that's where they – that was what was left over. That was sort of decent habitat. But if you think of the, the east, uh, there used to be old-growth pine, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of old-growth pine. And we're talking – old-growth pine is a different-looking beast of a forest than regular old scrubby pine forest. And the imperial woodpecker in Mexico, also a pine forest bird. So I think it's interesting that Cuba doesn't have many pines, only in certain parts of the mountains. And that's where the woodpecker was. It's like hmm. it was in pine. And it could it still be there? Maybe, because there really haven't been that many, if any, teams going into the area. Right. That It has not been that thoroughly surveyed compared to say, you know, the southeastern U.S. or, right. well, well, maybe not, not even relative to anything, but it just hasn't been that thoroughly right. surveyed. And now we're talking about this because there's sort of this preprint of, of that's, tell you know, I think it's really crazy that something that hasn't really been published yet was flaunted out there <laughs> to the public. Yeah, and picked, and picked up, up, by up major media outlets. Major yeah. media, right? Yeah. But, um, I'm not sure what's going to happen to the paper or, but these folks have said they've, you know, photographed with trail cameras, ivory bull woodpeckers in Louisiana. And uh, let me tell you, this would be the best news ever if we could all agree that we're seeing and they've detected an ivory bull woodpecker. To me, what's out there is almost like, gosh, it's like, I can see where they're getting their um, thought process on it. You know, the way that some of the images kind of look like they have a bird might be standing. But the thing is, it's, the images are so poor that really, I mean, I, I could, uh, um, there's photo, better photos of Bigfoot than this, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's the, that's the, I mean, I I don't know that I'm capable of defining the 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 sort of metastasizing debate about this species that just seems to grow and grow over the years, and I think is frustrating on on both sides to folks. But it seems like there's the folks who just want to believe, and they and 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 they that's one side of it. But really, in reality, everybody wants to believe, but there's folks that are just like we need proof that we can really sink our teeth into that that like you know and i think what you know i I, i'll confess i firm i fall into sort of the skeptical side of this argument uh in fact this is this is something me and my father when the when the when the uh ivory bills were reported in 2004 he went and searched for them both in in louisiana and in uh in arkansas he was part of search teams, and he was a he was a firm believer that these things were there, and uh, and and we used to get into some real debates because I just wasn't you know happy with the evidence uh, that was that was there you know, uh, and and eventually our fa- at our family dinners you know we get together every t- three weeks of, you know once a month or something for a big family dinner, and my sisters and my mom were like okay you two shut up. Like <laughs> you're not allowed to talk about ivory woodpeckers ever build woodpeckers anymore. This is like you don't agree, and like you're talking past each other. Let's just like talk about anything else. Talk about sports. Talk about politics. Even you know, like, but you guys are not talking about ivory woodpeckers anymore. But I do remember getting to one point with my my dad, and he was saying, "I was like, Dad, I think you're thinking with your heart and not with your head." And he said, "You know," he was like. I, he's like, you might be right, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and I think I'm paraphrasing. I don't think that's quite what yeah. he said, but 
I think once he got to that point, I was like, I think we can leave this alone now. I think we can, I think we can leave well, this discussion behind. I remember in the original, um, gosh, what this 15 years ago that the last version of this happened, you know, and, and, uh, Fitz, you know, John Fitzpatrick of Cornell does, did a, a press, you know, sort of a live press kind of conference, you know, with, with the details. And, and I, you know, they said this conference is going to happen. I think, I know, I don't know how I dialed into it somehow, you know, online. And I remember weeping. I was, I was crying with the emotion of this. And then later, as we, we sort of got to sort of, calmly look at the info and and you know assess what what's what they'd seen and heard and also get david sibley's thought process on what they actually why we were sort of duped by the imagery i felt like dang you know like i went all the way with this immediately because i so fervently wanted to believe so i've now i'm even more kind of uh I want real you're, solid. Right. You're, you're, you're proof, like you once know. bitten, twice shy kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes us, you know, if you want to get a good, you know, a, your record of a little stint accepted for anywhere in, in North America by the records committees, you have to have much more solid proof than yeah. these folks that are coming out and saying essentially the most the most important species in bird species, let's put it that way in North yeah. America yeah. To, in people's yeah. hearts is, is it's is literally, it's literally referred to as the Lord God bird. Like that's right. its nickname. I think that right. there's, it's not, that's not coincidental like that. It is that important to people. So I, I feel like, um, I think it's great that some people are making the, the, um, argument to, um, I know, um, Ken Kaufman uh, today wrote about this, you know, that, that it's great that people are out there looking and have hope and so forth. And, and that's, the, that's the great story. And I think that I agree with that. I, I just think that given the importance of this bird, the details and info that has to come out to actually say it's here has yeah. to be foolproof. Like, yeah. You know, you George and I would be man. weeping on this show together. You know, <laughs> yeah, kind of, this, kind of thing. But yeah. it, this is not. This is this far is from it. it. Yeah. And and in fact, it's yeah. I I I can't believe that it's actually gotten to the point where we're talking about it. I, I it might even I, be irresponsible for us to talk about it, given how little. Well, I, th- I think <laughs> information it's picked up enough. It, it's picked up enough traction that it's like you, I'm. You know, I know that you because we've you know been in touch this week. Both of us and, you know, anybody that is into birds as much as we are, non-birding friends, people that are sort of generally interested in nature, they're, they're seeing this in the news and they're saying, what do you think of it? And so, and, and that's the, that is the amazing thing is how much this has picked up traction despite it's not being, it not being peer reviewed at all. And it is, you know, my first reaction was, I think, similar to yours is a friend of mine here in Philly, uh, she, she says, you know, I saw this bird and I got the receipts and she means like she has photos to prove what she saw. Like, mm-hmm. and these folks are saying they have photos and, but they, the photos are, you know, they're, they're not identifiable. I think it was, uh, um, somebody pointed out like the, all the photos, you know, it's not a good sign that they all come on foggy days. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. he, they, they mentioned that in their presentation. Um, it's yeah. At any rate, it was it was unsatisfying um, quote information to review if you are looking for solid evidence that these things are still out there. And I think it's important that everyone remember we all want ivory-billed woodpeckers to be out there. We all want like want to think about them flying around big trees and doing double knocks and you know giving their clarinet Kent calls like that. That's something that echoes you know, in your soul is something that if you've, if you've dreamed about birds and thought about birds for a long time, we all want to think that that experience, you know, could still be had and that these things could live. It's just that, uh, you know, it's the old I, Sagan quote, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. You know? Right. 
and you know, I don't think there's anything malicious. The people writing the, this information and seeing these things, I think they they really you know are are uh, on you know they, they they this is what the conclusion they've come to, and I think right. that's they reached fine. their there's conclusion nothing, honestly in their way, right? And that's that's how science works. Um, you know, you you put out a hypothesis and so forth. Now, I think the, where the the responsibility is is the journal. If the if a journal publishes this. And goes through the the peer review and the editorial process, and and sort of discounts the fact that these photos and so forth and all the issues with this are flimsy. really, you know, yeah, flimsy. That they sort of say, well, you know, this really needs to get out there. I'm not sure it does. I, I think this is where you sort of say you. I think you you have part of the story. Give yourself another six months to actually get the real photos if if this yeah. thing exists. Because if it exists and they, they know where it is because they have photographs of the, of the uh, trees, they will actually get those real photos. Yes. There's no reason why a full-frame photo, if the bird exists and they know where it is, where it'll happen. And this is another conversation me and you got into. And actually, you know... Um, I sort of pulled people out on Facebook on this. Are there birds that are unseeable that exist? Right. And, uh, an ivory billed woodpecker would, would not fall into this category because no. it's, it is a loud and territorial bird that is conspicuous. Like that birds in that genus, hey. woodpeckers in general, um, are territorial, vocal, and move around a good bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even the very quiet woodpeckers, right? Sapsuckers are very quiet. But there are times of the year when they're super loud. Like their nests are really loud. Like the racket in the forest in late summer is a sapsucker nest. And and when they when they drum, I mean, sapsucker drumming, especially if you have a cabin or cottage in sapsucker country, they love to drum on those, you know, uh, on your house sometimes. So yeah. it's... Uh, it's yeah, sure. It can be hard to find a sapsucker at a certain point in time when you're like looking for them and they go on the other side of the tree trunk and they're like, wow, that's a stealthy woodpecker yeah. now, but not when they're looking for terror for mates and not when they're at the nest They're and not they're if you got really easily findable. And not if you got camera traps and you got audio, you know, auto, auto audio recording units out there. These are, if these are birds that by their nature, by their nature, by their by their habits and behavior, lend themselves to being documented. Uh, right. I think those of us that have served on records committees and and who have, have spent time evaluating, uh, you know, reports of rare birds, like you were saying before about like a little stint, you know, thing, you know, you you look at a body of evidence and that's it's hard to look at this and think, you know, how did they reach these conclusions? Yeah. You know, in the question of what's not findable, there, there were some interesting, um, there are some birds that may be extinct, uh, so they're not findable. You know, it could be, um, you know, something like um, Kinglet Calyptura, you know, that yes. was seen 20 years ago, but hasn't been seen again. So it may not, it may just be gone. But there are these others that are super shy that um, that are difficult to find but like let's this luzon button quail which is in the philippines is one that somebody mentioned Couple but yet yeah. yeah they they're they're not seen they're not seen by birders but actually they're they're caught in in mammal traps so we know they exist but that mere fact that they were caught in a mammal trap they you could have photographed them with a mammal you know a camera or the fact that they're Walking into traps means that you can actually confirm they're there, right? right? So everything, in a sense, is confirmable. There are some of these birds. There was another um, group of them that seemed to be really low, low density, and and birds that move around due to habitat changes. And some of them are rails or um, fluff tails. So you know, speckled rail. Um, is one of them that may be in southern South America, just moving from 
from one little wet grassland to another Occupies when the situation ephemeral areas where yeah. they're forced to move and thus difficult to predict where they might be right and yellow rail could be like that in North America. I mean, there there are marshes, um, you know, sedge marshes that set up in certain places, and suddenly some birder pops by and goes, "Oh my gosh, there's yellow rails here!" And they're there two or three years, and then they leave. You know, right. I mean, but if nobody checks some of these areas no, in South America, then right there, nobody's going to see them. Yet, speckled rail shows up regularly, kind of downtown Buenos Aires or like you know the edge of Montevideo these big cities because they're actually flying through at night and then they, they get, you know, disoriented and they, they're actually photographed and some of them have been photographed and hand banded and so forth. So again, like really hard to find birds, but they're, they're, they're seen, they're detected. Um, there are a few others that are a little bit tougher, uh, but I think essentially all birds are findable and the ones that are really, really hard tend to be, really really sneaky little brown things in the grass they're right. not understory big black marsh and white dwellers <laughs> yeah like under for understory of forest marsh dwelling birds or nocturnal and or nocturnal species and if you think about the number of birds we're talking about i mean what are there 12,000 15,000 species of birds in the in the world or more and the number of birds we're talking about that are super hard to document by a photo or video or is i mean really small it's like really small and yeah. none of them are big woodpeckers that are vocal and territorial right and i know that i think some people are going to be listening to this and going gosh you know they're just being naysayers and and um and just negative nellies um yeah you know um <laughs> um debbie downers and we what admit else you got? what else you got well, yeah I mean, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so there's an element of yeah that that's that's true we're being skeptical maybe um exceedingly so in some cases because we care yeah. and we would love to have this information be real and it has to go through a filter of of um you know really prove it because we need that kind of information and not just for our ivory bull woodpeckers zapata rails we need to find these birds that that are out there and conclusively so that we can then muster the resources we we need to 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 preserve them yeah. in that you last you know it's important this is important stuff yeah, you can't help any of these birds. You can't do the conservation work until you prove that they really are there. And, yeah. Uh, it be, and yeah, it's just, it, I think it's frustrating for everybody to to have this debate over and over again. Um, but it is such, uh, I think you framed the question really well, Alvaro, um, that we had this discussion on social media uh, about, you know, what, what are these, like, what's an example of a, of a bird that is actually undocumentable or, you know, and, you know, there, there, there weren't really many concrete answers to that. Uh, there's a right. bunch of birds that are right. really furtive, hard to find, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I, there's I, some at a mountaintop on an island, you know, near New Guinea or something where you're like, okay, well, that's just hard to get to, isn't it? You know, and there's probably land leeches everywhere. And Okay, so. But is it unf if if you gave it six months, you probably could find it. You know, yeah, maybe much less, less three that. or four years. Like, you yeah, know, like if you really want to find it, you can do it. You know, yeah, yeah, and um, that's where if you're sort of turning the question backwards on you know in itself, this idea of the the ivory build being unfindable because it's evolved almost to be this ghost is where you are going into legend and lore. Yeah. And it's a beautiful story, and it makes a lot of sense to us because it's a great story, but it doesn't pan out at all with the reality of birds and the reality of woodpeckers, especially. Uh, that's, that's one of the points uh, that I kind of raised in one of the discussions I was having is I was like, I think, you know, we have to remember that human beings love a simple story, you know, like, and fitting things to a narrative. You got to remember to actually look at the strength of the evidence, you know, and right. 
And I think that's what, um, you know, being skeptical doesn't mean that you're negative. You know, right. that's not what the definition of a skeptic is. A skeptic just wants to look at evidence and see that it's strong. Like that, that you know, uh, I think if, if you want to, if you're going to be wowed, you want to be wowed by really strong evidence. Mm. Right. I mean, s- some of these, uh, birds that have been rediscovered or brand new species. I mean, Dan Lane's two big finds in terms of new species for the world. They're like, wow, birds, you know, where you're thinking like, Oh my God, look at that thing. It's got colors all over the place. And those are some of the most exciting things. I think, um, when you have really good evidence of something that is, unimaginable in a sense Mm -hmm. Um, that so we just want that (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and in a a lot of the cases of the uh, species that came up in the conversation uh, you started on facebook it was amazing how many times people went back well this bird was like that until we documented its voice and that Mm -hmm. happened again and again and again right there was numerous accounts and I even spoke to Dan the other day about, you know, long whiskered outlet. And even once they, you know, once they had the voice, it still took them a while to document the bird, but they did, you know, um, mm-hmm. and for, and th- in this case, you know, for the every bird woodpecker, you know, we've, we've known, we've had recordings of the voice for, you know, decades, many decades. decades. Uh, yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. And, you know, I got to say too, just, uh, shifting a little bit, um, if if people are on Twitter and um, they they look up Alexander Lee's, I think he might go under Alex Lee's. Alex and, Lee's, um, yes, yeah. Alex Lee's, and he's he's an ornithologist birder, and he has a really thoughtful um, set of points as to how he evaluates the the new ivory billed woodpecker situation. And I wanted to mention him too because uh, along with James Gilroy, he just wrote a, a new book that has just come out in North America, like called Vagrancy in Birds. Mm-hmm. And it's a family by family account of, you know, lost birds. And, and I think, you know, when you get a copy, uh, George, we should talk a little bit more about this book, but it may be the first actual book on one of the things that drives a lot of birders, which is, mm-hmm rare birds vagrancy yeah. right we've had the rare birds type books yeah but this is kind of like let's look at all the birds in the world and sort of the general family patterns family of vagrancy account. family right. by family yeah yeah you know i mean i don't know what you do for rent it you probably it's like you know one time there was one <laughs> that moved a mile you know <laughs> <laughs> the shorter shorter chapter of the rent that's yeah. right you know yeah. yeah that yeah um but uh it's a it's a fascinating book, um, and yeah, maybe we'll we'll just yeah. leave that as a teaser for now, and we'll maybe get back to that once we've kind of had a chance to look at it yeah. in more detail. Princeton well, University Press, by the way. Yeah, and Alex Lee's is somebody that can, uh, given given that that's the book he's written, he carries some weight uh, when it comes to uh, his discussion of the ivory bill woodpecker. One thing I wanted to turn back and ask your opinion on Alvaro. Um, you mentioned, uh, night parrot. The, no, <laughs> the, they mentioned that when the ivory bills were seen, you know, again in Cuba in the mid eighties by that team, I think it was it Lester short or, or Jerry Jackson. And I yeah. Remember. I think they both were involved. Yeah. And sort some Cubans, sort of a- as well, I don't know if Arturo Kirkconnell was a part of that group or uh, or not. Yeah, um, it may it may have been um, our, uh, Garrido, um, but uh, Orlando Garrido. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah but I, I I thought you would be interested to know how I first learned about that story um, because I, <laughs> like I remember when it happened, and my father. Uh, this was in the eighties, mind you. Right, this is like. I want to say it's like 84, 85, 86, somewhere in there. Maybe it's, you know, somewhere in there. And I'm at home. 80, I think it's 85, 86, maybe here. For that sounds right. Quickly looking yeah. it up. Yeah. Because I, I remember I was recently into birds and I had done a, like, we had this science night kind of 
thing at our at my middle school, and my project was on the Iverbuilt woodpecker, and I was like super into it. And my so you've dad, been, you've been thinking about this for a long time, the Iverbuilt. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I definitely dreamed of seeing this thing many times, as I, I'm sure all of us have. But like you know, since I was like 10, 11, 12, whatever, I've been like. Yeah, like I remember, I still somewhere I've got the poster I did. I like I I I did a like a painting, and I am no kind of artist, but I actually did a pretty decent job on this. I rebuilt woodpecker, you know. I worked hard on it, and uh, and I remember my dad came into. I was like in the backyard doing something, and he came comes in holding a copy of People magazine, and he's like, "George, look at this." And in People magazine, there was like a one to two page article about the, the, the sighting of the ivory woodpecker in Cuba and this team of folks. And I was like, not only flabbergasted that the things have been seen in Cuba, but I was flabbergasted that this article was in People magazine of all places. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, like, it's like both almost equally amazing things, you know. For you trivia folks out there, how many times have bird things been on people magazine that'd be a good one for you guys to go gotta be search out a paltry few i gotta think but oh you know i didn't look up the info on this this is a trivia question that i was going to pose to you but maybe i'll just pose it anyways to see if this is a true or false situation but you see people george loves bar trivia you this know, there's true. bar bar trivia things. Oh, yeah. You know, quizzo like, pub quiz. I am all in on that. Yeah, love that. He loves that stuff. I've I've actually never done one. So one day I will oh, get wow. together with George and I will uh, see how this works. Yeah, we got to do um, that. I imagine I imagine knowledge of scientific names is not very helpful in pub trivia, right? Mm-hmm. You probably have to the, know sports, right? Yeah, sports helps geography. Yeah, 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 sports I really do poorly on, but you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but so I was told that the Guinness Book of World Records is actually was created by Guinness, the company that brews the beer, the mm-hmm. Irish company. Got some in the in order to have a set of trivia for their for trivia night back in the day like i guess in the 30s 20s or whatever mm. that guinness book of world records is actually the original standard for pub trivia night now wow is that true or is wow. that not true but i, I, don't, I that mean, is that is juicy alvaro that is juicy I, if it, like <laughs> true or not that is a juicy tidbit that i think i'm going to start sharing around yeah. Because at first, I, I, you know, I think I was drinking a Guinness one point. And I said, "Are these the same people as the world records?" You know, with the guy with the long <laughs> nails and stuff. Always and then good at asking somebody, yeah. somebody said, "Yes, they are." Then I'm like, "Well, that makes no sense." I mean, that's kind of like the first time I heard of Nokia was because I there was a Swedish birder I met who had Nokia rubber boots, and then later they're <laughs> making phones. I don't know, but I just thought they were boot people. So I had no idea that they were the same Guinness. So that would actually link them together. So, and that is, as you said, a meta, meta, meta trivia. Question. It really is. It's it's like a it's like a little tur- trivia turducken. That's it's really nice. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's beautiful. There you go. Yeah. So we'll see. But I don't even know if Guinness Book of World Records has any bird stuff in it, does it? It's all I don't know. You know what I remember right? is like the guy with like the longest mustache in the world and like right, the guy right. with the longest fingernails and, you know, some dude that tried to smoke the most cigarettes at one time ever and then died like, you know, like half hour later, you know. Right. You know, all the, the crazy The nail pictures. guy is the guy that I remember because I was like, no. Like, you know, I'm, you know, now <laughs> it's just like. It, it was almost like grotesque to it the was. point where you're like, that cannot be, you yeah. know, that those little black and white photos thing. in that book was like, yeah, it was like, yeah. you just marvel at those and be like, Oh my God, this is, this is a disaster of humanity really. But like, you got to admire yeah. the dedication. And you know what? And it, it's a very much, it was back in the day that, that black and white book was a real boy thing. I mean, I remember like, the boys would get together and go, Oh my God, look at that. You know? And then 
you know, all of our female friends just roll their eyes. Would roll their eyes and say, "Why are they so interested in this?" They're probably like, "I disgusting hope, I hope book, these boys you know? never get an anarchist cookbook as well." It was just like right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I hope these boys never wind up in a pub. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes together, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and sit around talking trivia. But yeah, you know, you have to have when when you don't have, you know, we're, we're not allowed to talk about feelings or anything back in those days. Yes, you have true. to talk about trivia. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about our feelings now, don't go. we? Look at us. Look at us. Yeah. yeah, look at us. Like you said, we'll 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 cry when we see the uh the actual Lord, Lord God. God bird photos. Mm-hmm. But we are at this point in time firmly you know, thinking, uh, I'm not, I'm not swayed whatsoever. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you one more question about the woodpecker. Um, I have heard some, I have two taxonomic questions about it. I'm curious for your take. I, I have my own opinions, but I'm curious for the Alvaro view on these two matters. One is that the ivory-billed woodpeckers in Cuba should be a different subspecies than those in North America. They, and, they are a different subspecies. Okay, they are. Right. No, the question is whether different, they're a different species. Different species, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 And then the other question was whether they should really be a part of like if Campephalus should be rearranged and there and maybe that those would actually not fall within Campephalus. I don't remember the way that Campephalus, the genus, was supposed to be rearranged, but there was I remember when people were saying, well, you know, if you compare the Campephalus here to Ivory Building, some people were like, well, yeah, but like, you know, maybe you can't really compare those because they shouldn't even be in the same genus. And all of that sounded flimsy to me, but I was curious if uh, it had ever, you know, piqued your curiosity. Yeah. Um, the the Cuba question, I think, is is an interesting one because there was a paper done some while ago on, on, you know, using what they call ancient DNA from specimens. And they found that the, the genetic difference, I think in mitochondrial DNA between the Cuban one and the U S one was sizable. So even though the birds differ in size and I think minor plumage differences that, it was different enough that there was a suggestion made that they could be different species. But that sort of died on the vine, I think, because, well, we don't have any biological info. Like, we we don't know if they call differently or anything. If, let's say, Cuban ivory bills were refound and they, I mean, we get a good recording, because I don't think there's a recording of a Cuban one. Um then that would be of interest, and you might sort of say, "Aha, uh-huh, you know that these um, these are might really deserve to be separated." Right, and and I think there was also maybe people just were uncomfortable with such an iconic bird suddenly, like you know, just separating it out like that, like a different species, you know, um, even if it's a Cuban population, but. The other thing, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember how the the sort of family tree of this group of woodpeckers fell out, but um, it might have been, you know, that the people, you know, we've compared Magellanic woodpecker in the past because that's a temperate Campephalus, um, and I think may- maybe that's what I'm remembering is that some folks were saying, yeah, but that's yeah. different than the tropical ones. Um, yeah, I think so. If you were gonna if you were going to look at the genus, um, as far as I know, the the ivory bill group, you know, with the imperial, they're they're a sister group, and they they have a, um, a you know common ancestor that that is is still sort of its sister to the rest of mm-hmm. Campephilus or Campophilus, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And then the Magellanic is kind of the outside group of the rest of the South American one. So it is an oddball in itself. And it may be, if you, you know, depending on what, you know, what, what uh, analyses you do, it may actually come out to be closer to the, the Ivory Bill group. Maybe not. Right. Um, 
it's it's kind of in between and but i think one of the important things about that is even though it's it's not that far off right even if it's not the same right. same group or if you decide to separate the ivory bills as a different genus still it's still probably a decent homolog yeah right and it is a temperate see all the other um in the group are are tropical or montane temperate, but not kind of lowland temperate or, you know, let's put it like high latitude temperate birds. And Magellanic is. It's in forests that get cold in the winter. It's resident. It's in big old trees that are not tropical or subtropical kind of rainforesty places, you know. So it's a good model um, yeah. in many ways. I don't know. You and, hear a pale-billed woodpecker do that double knock, and it does stir your heart a little bit, though, too, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the I don't know about a lot of the other Latin American species, but the the Magellanic really, really takes to old, old forest. Like, right. it, it's e- easiest to find it when you have trees that are several hundred years old. Right. So that too makes me think, okay, this thing is a little bit more ivory buildish. You know, yeah. And it's got the curly Q crest as a female. I mean, let's oh, face it, that's so something. Nice. Man, yeah, that is <laughs> that is a bird. Another one that'll stir your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alvaro, yeah. I think uh we are coming up on the hour here. Uh, and it's time for us to scoot. I know you gotta run and uh and, and runs a few errands and uh i can feel my face again um i had oh, mentioned yes. to folks that i'd come from the dentist had a little bit of work done and the lidocaine has now actually worn off and i can feel my face which is both kind of reassuring but um also yeah this little... this now you know what chris rock felt like after <laughs> <laughs> i'm so mad at will smith still i'm so mad at him but yeah uh, i if if Philadelphia ever gave them the key to the city, they better take it back. Yeah, yeah. Put a different lock on that city. Yeah. Now, the Sixers are doing good stuff right now, and he is actually like – I think he has a minority share of the Sixers. He could not show up at the game right now. Not that he ever has. It's always kind of a weird thing that he's like never been at the games. But anyway, um, before we get going here, Alvaro, anything you want to tell the good people out there? Well, uh, we actually, you know, in terms of tours coming up, we had a cancellation on our birds and wine South Africa. Um, one spot, one, not for a couple, unfortunately. So if somebody is keen on that, go to alvarosadventures.com and try to contact me. Um, that That's a good one is too. a fantastic trip. Anything where you do birds and something else, I find are some of the most fun trips. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, that's that's a good trip. I've done that one myself, and that is a really good trip. Uh, so, yeah, folks should definitely check out Birds and Wine South Africa and Alvaro's Adventures. And, uh, yeah, um, any others you got coming up? I've got locally here, there's a, play, um, a group that does conservation of our uh, redwood forest, talking about old-growth trees, um, Sempervirens Fund. And I'll be talking with them on their next um, live event next Tuesday. Sorry, I don't have the time, but they're also going to put together a little guide for birding the redwoods, a little small, short uh, thing that we can link to later. So for any West Coasters who are interested in that. um, But these groups, you know, part of them, part of the reason I do these things is just get the the word out not only of birding to those folks that might be hikers and conservationists, but also to get the conservation message to the birders, a sort of little back and forth that we need to have uh, to make it all work out long-term for everybody, the habitat and the birds. Yeah. Nice. Good one. Yeah. Well, I should tell you how I am taking a page out of your book and I am going to do a little, uh, I hope a little fundraising for local conservation here as well and i'm going to do Kristen and i are going to do a walking big day here Whoa. in philadelphia yeah i don't know that we will quite do 24 hours um but and and uh yeah it's it's like a little bit of a different structure but folks hopefully we'll keep an eye out uh we're going to try to raise a little bit of money for bird safe philly 
which does uh, lights out work here and, uh, you know, trying to keep uh, lights out during migration and also window uh, work against window strikes. So check out birdsafephilly.org and uh, we'll great. be doing our donations through dvoc.org. DVOC. The, um, I, I heard recently American Bird Conservancy uh, folks are doing a big walk in Washington at some point, I think in May or so this is kind of picking up suddenly the little, uh, the, the big walk concept, I think is, yeah, yeah. is birding and walking or, you know, it's nice, pretty spring. You get a nice day. It's pretty tough to beat. Tough combo to beat. Yeah. I know. I think, uh, I think you'll be surprised at how, if you've done, you've done big days before with cards and so forth. The idea that you cannot go back <laughs> like that. You, right. you're like, Oh, still need mallard. And that pond is like a mile back. There. It's like, you know, you're not, you're not going to want to walk back <laughs> to that pond. You're, yeah, yeah. Just better mallard, better fly over or whatever, you know, gadwall. Yeah. I don't know what the species would be, but th- there's an element of that that is actually really interesting. Like as you've, you think about your maximizing your species that you um you you start running when you run out of time you can't zip to a b or c you just got you, no, you gotta got get what you power. can get yeah yeah you, you know so you have to be paying attention that one merlin or sharpshin hawk that flies over if you're not paying attention that second that thing goes over you've missed your one chance you know that's yeah. it it's like real that's it. Uh, great, great way to bird. It's actually a lot of fun. Um, and you know, you don't have to do it. Um, yeah, I think I'm actually might be writing an article about big walks on, uh, for the new BWD that's uh bird watchers digest, the new, um, yes. um, magazine. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll get definitely your take gotta, on yeah. it. We definitely got to talk about that. And, uh, we want to chat with those folks too as, as right. things kick into gear there. That'll be exciting. A lot, yeah. lot going on yeah. there. So. Lots. Oh, shining shining uh, sort of new thing happening from sort of the phoenix has risen or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear All right. the dog is dreaming over here. I should uh, go wake him from what might be either a nightmare or a very good dream. I can't tell which, but at any rate, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, it's been a fun one and look forward to your feedback and questions. Thanks too to our producer, Molly Brown. We will get her back. Hope you come join us offshore and yeah, we look forward to hearing from everybody. Alvaro, have a great day. Yeah. You too, George. Thanks everybody for listening. Cheers folks.